grab your Bibles. If you don't have your Bible, get it on your phone. Um, I'm telling you, with the way I preach, you will get much more out of it if you follow along with me. Um, and so um, if you're looking at it as I'm preaching it, I, I promise you, you're going to pick up things that um, you never would have caught if all you were doing was just listening. So um, if you have any way at all, find a way to get it uh, in your hands so that you can go through it with me. But we're going to be in Psalm 84 this morning. Psalm 84. And when you get there, oh, you just sat down, but stand one more time as we give reverence to reading the living and powerful Word of God. Psalm 84, we will read the entire psalm, verses 1 through 12. This psalm is to the choir master. <clears throat> the title of it, it says, let me say that first, My soul longs. Let me say that again. My soul longs for the courts of the Lord. To the choir master, according to the giddeth, and we believe that is a, um, a musical term of some kind, could have been an instrument that they played it on, could have been a, a tune that they sang it to. We don't know for certain, but it is according to the Giddith. It is a psalm of the sons of Korah. It's going to be important when we get into this psalm, okay? Verse 1, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and even the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Salah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength until each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer and give ear, O God of Jacob, Salah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand days elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord our God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, Blessed is the one who trusts in you. You can be seated. <clears throat> and as you're seated this morning, I'd like to ask if um, Mr. Bobby Powell, will you open us in a word of prayer, please? Thank you. 
Amen. Amen. So today we, um, we come to a psalm that was written to express the emotions of wanting to be in the, the presence of God. This psalm is, um, and you're going to see the background of this psalm here in a minute. It's, it's beautiful whenever you, put your shoe, whenever you put your feet in the sandals, I guess I should say. When you put your feet in the sandals of the author, when you figure out who this guy is or a little bit about him, you read the psalm completely different. But he knows that there is no better place to be anywhere. I don't care where it is. I don't care if it's with your family. There is no better place to be anywhere than in the presence of Almighty God, than dwelling in His house with Him. And He is going on a journey. He's getting ready to make the journey to the house of God. To be, because at this time, I want you to know that in order for them to truly get to the presence of God, they had to go to the tabernacle or to the temple. And so for you and I, we have the Lord God everywhere we go because He resides in us. But ultimately, this wasn't just about the tabernacle. It was immediately. But ultimately, it was about being in the presence of God forever and ever. And there was a longing in Him that I want you to be able to see as we go through here. And, um, and so before, before we get there, I want to examine this author. I want you to notice that this is a psalm of the sons of Korah. And we actually have a lot of information on these guys and where they come from, biblical information. And so I'm going to look back at a few scriptures so that you can see. First off, in number 16, we get to see who Korah actually is. Now, Korah was a Levite. Now, Levi had three sons, all right? One of them was Korah's granddaddy. Moses had set aside the Levites to take care of full-time ministry in the temple, all right? Some of them were priests and they ministered before God offering sacrifice. Some of them were doorkeepers. Some of them were curtain keepers. Actually, the, the, the three sons, the first one was Gershon, the, Gershon and his family were responsible for the tabernacle itself or the tent at this time because they moved it everywhere they went, okay? So this group was responsible for taking up the tent, the stakes of the tent, the strings of the tent, um, the curtains of the tent. They were responsible for basically the setup and the tear down of, um, of God's house, all right? The second group was Merari, I think is how I'm pronouncing it, but he was the second son of Levi. They were responsible for the frames of the tent, not just the material, but the frames, the crossbars, the posts, the, the bases. They were responsible for that. So these two guys worked together in those. 
they could carry everywhere they went, and they traveled for how many years in the wilderness? Forty years. They carried this tent and this massive tabernacle from place to place to place. These two groups could carry every carts. They could push with wheels and rolls or probably even had um, animals pulling them, all right? The next group was Kohath. Kohath was the third son of Levi, and Kohath is Korah's grandfather, okay? So when we get to Korah, keep this context in mind. Kohath and his family are responsible for the care of the Ark of the Covenant, their care of the tables, the care of the lampstand, the altars, all the utensils, the pots and the pans. The, they had to carry all of these items on poles on their shoulder. They could not touch the items. Do you remember the story whenever um, they were uh, David was traveling somewhere and they had the Ark of the Covenant and all of a sudden the Ark of the Covenant, uh, one of the guy tripped and began to fall and it became unsteady. And one of the sons of Korah reached out and he touched the Ark of the Covenant to try to steady it. And what happened? He died. Because they were not allowed to touch these things because the presence of God was in these, was in these utensils, if you will, especially in the Ark of the Covenant. These guys spent their life having to do of the manual labor, if you will. And so here they were carrying everything everywhere they went, bearing the load of this on their shoulders while their other brothers were just in charge of putting up and tearing down the tent and the tabernacle itself. Now when we get to Numbers chapter 16, here's where the context comes in. Korah, and y'all know now what their responsibility was, he's the grandson of Kohath, he has now got jealous because all that Moses and Aaron has to do is take the sacrifice, go before the Lord, offer incense before God while they do all the work. Korah raises a rebellion against Moses and Aaron and he raises 250 chief leaders. And they come together. You can read this. The whole story is in number 16, okay? They come together and they come against him and they say, is, um, are you and Aaron the only ones that God will speak through? No, God will speak to all of us. You're no different. Basically, it would have been like you and I coming to Jesus and saying this. Jesus, do you really think you're the only one that God will listen to? We don't need to pray in your name. We don't want you. We don't need you. God will speak to us just like He will Jesus. Y'all hear that? That's what these guys did. They came and they stood and they said, we don't need God's chosen mediators between us. We can do this. Moses says, okay, I'll tell you what we're going to do. All 250 of you go and get a censer that they offered the, 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 the incense before God in. And tomorrow morning we're going to come back and we're going to offer this incense to Him. And whoever God accepts, we will know who God will really speak through. Well, long story short, here's what happened. Korah up and all of his family is around. The 250 men go into the tabernacle with their censers and they're in the holy place where they don't belong. All of a sudden, Moses says to all of Israel, 
Here's how you're going to know who God actually speaks through. If these men die like any other men, then you'll know that God was for them just as much as He was us. But if something special happens and the earth opens up and swallows and closes back over on top of them, then you will know that that is the Lord God saying, I do not accept just anyone coming before me. And what do you think happened? Sure enough, the earth opened up and it swallowed up all of Korah and all of his family and all of his things. And then inside the tabernacle, fire came out from the altar and it consumed 250 men that were in there trying to stand before God offering sacrifice. He did not accept it. And now these verses in Numbers chapter 16, verse 32 and 33, this is where we read it. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol or into the grave and the earth closed over them and they perished from the midst of the assembly. Now I want you to think about this. All right, well, let me go to the next verse first. Go with me to Numbers 26 verse 11. But the sons of Korah did not die. There were some of the sons of Korah that God did not consume. They got to go on. How do you think they felt when every part of their family, all their belongings, everything has been destroyed because of what their, grand, because of what their father has done and now they are the ones that are left. They go through the rest of their life with the shame of this is what our grandfather did before God. He literally looked at Jesus and said, I don't need you, I don't want you, I'll come to God on my own. If I come in here and I start preaching that and I start doing that, what's that going to do to my family name? And so here we have these sons that did not die, but apparently God keeps them in the service and He makes them they become doorkeepers. Look at uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 9, verse 19. Shalom, the son of Kor, the son of whatever that name is, son of Korah and his kinsmen of his father's house, the Korahites, were in charge of the work of the service, keepers of the thresholds. What are thresholds? Keepers of the thresholds of the tent as their fathers had been in charge of the camp of the Lord, keepers of the entrance. They are doorkeepers in the house of the Lord. Now doorkeepers were the lowest position in the temple. Alright? They were not a, a temple that was for... If you're a prideful person, you don't, want to be a, you don't want to be a doorkeeper. If you're not a prideful person, you, you don't care. I'm happy to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. They became symbols of rebellion in Numbers chapter 16, verse 37 and 38. Look at that with me. Tell Elizar the son of Aaron, the priest, to take up the censers out of the blaze. Then scatter the far, far and wide, for they have become holy. As for the censers of these men who have sinned at the cost of their lives, let them be made into hammered plates as a covering for the altar. For they offered them before the Lord and they became holy. Thus they shall be a sign to the people of Israel. 
He's talking about those 250 men that went in there with those censers and tried to offer incense before God when God didn't choose them. Now they're going to take all of those from the leaders of those families and they've hammered them out and they've made it as a covering for the altar. Every time somebody goes into the temple to pray and they stand before the altar, guess what they see? They see the rebellion. They see what Korah did. And now here we have these symbols of rebellion that have become doorkeepers. But not just that, they also become singers. Look at 1 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 22 through 32. Um, the sons of Kohath, let me, pull, let me go to that because I may not do all of it. 1 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 22. The sons of Kohath, Amenadab, his son, Korah, his son, Asur, his son, Elkah, his son, and you could go on down, skip down with me to verse 31. These are the men whom David put in charge of the service of song in the house of the Lord after the ark rested there. They ministered with song before the tabernacle of the tent of meeting until Solomon built the house of the Lord in Jerusalem and they performed their service according to their order. So here's the point that I'm trying to make. The sons of Korah are symbols of rebellion, right? They are living. They are the ones that survived. They're the ones that God had mercy on, that God had grace on, and they know what happened to the rest of their family. But now God has had mercy on them and not only has He had mercy on them, but He's brought them into His house, seated them at His table and made them His servants to be doorkeepers and some of them even singers. And they have this rotation that takes place so that sometimes you're a doorkeeper, sometimes you're a singer, sometimes you're taking care of the utensils like their grandfather and, and his family did, but they rotate the schedule. And sometimes you are at your home wherever you live. And when we get to Psalm chapter 84, what you have is one of the sons of Korah that it is finally almost time for him to make his journey to the tabernacle. It is almost time for him to go for his order of service and he's either going to be a doorkeeper or he's going to be singing praises. He don't know for sure what he's going to be doing, but one thing he knows, I'm going to be in the presence of God and I cannot wait to get there. So Psalm chapter 84 is written by the sons of Korah, there are about 11 psalms that are written by these guys and I would encourage you with that context and that background to go back and find some more of these psalms. Let me just give you one to start with today if you want something else to read. Psalm 42, I've preached on it before. Psalm 42 is written by this guy. Try to put yourself in the shoes of this guy and then read that psalm. But for today, let's look at Psalm chapter 84. We'll go through it verse by verse. In verse 1, I want you to notice verse 1 through 4, I have outlined it as the psalmist's longing. The psalmist's longing. He yearns, he desires, he cannot wait to get into the presence of God and to serve Him. He don't care if he's going to be singing. He don't care if he's going to be a doorkeeper. It don't matter. The only place I want to be 
is in the presence of my God. Look at verse 1 with me. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, it even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Now the courts of the Lord were just simply, when you looked at the tabernacle, whenever you went inside to the first court, that's where the the altar was for burnt sacrifice. And then you went into the next court, and that's where the altar was where the prayers were offered and the incense was lifted up. But when he says, my heart and soul longs for it, he's saying, I cannot wait my everything in me, my soul faints. You know what it means to faint? It means that you have come to an end. You are spent. You cannot take it anymore. If there's one thing this guy has to do, he has to get into the presence of God. He has to get into the service of God. God, let me sing to you. God, let me worship you. God, let me, let me serve you at your altars. Or, or God, let me, um, let me be a doorkeeper. I don't care what I have to do. God, I know who you are. I know what you have done for me. And if there's one thing I want to do for the rest of my years, for all eternity, is I want to be in your service. I want to be with you. He loves it. He cannot wait for it. You know, this is, this is pretty important because I want you to notice here that basically what he's talking about is going to church. That's what he's talking about, okay? Now again, ultimately, he's talking about the presence of God forever. But ain't it funny here that he's not saying, well, you know what, there's people in that church that do this and do this and do this and there's some of those priests that they're not... They're not really genuine in what they do. And there's some of, of, of those singers that uh, all they care about is they just want their voice to be heard. And they're not. Do you notice that there's none of that in here? Do you notice that he has not said a word about any of the people that come to the temple? The only thing he cares about is one thing. God, this is where your people gather to lift praise to your name. God, this is where your people gather to to sing to you and to worship you and to sacrifice to you. And the only thing I care about is that I get to be a part of it. That's all I care. Ain't that interesting? Do you know how many people today, especially, I hate Facebook. I hate it so much. I don't even know why I still get on it at all. Um, But... Do you know how many comments I see? People get on there and they, and they may, on certain pages, and they may say, um, hey, where do y'all go to church? Or, um, or, hey, looking for a church or something, and then people will start commenting down there. And there's always several people that will comment down through there, and they'll say, you know, I just worship God in my house, and, um, and I don't even need this and this and this. Y'all notice what, how that mentality is today? They don't get it. They don't get it. And it's, and it's sad is what it is. I know that this is the place to where the Spirit of God is manifested the most. You know why? God's with me wherever I go, alright? But 
In this place is where the Spirit is in Francis, it's in Chastity, it's in Lori, it's in Connor, it's in Maggie, it's in Meemaw, it's in Christy. And in this place when the Spirit is manifested in all the different gifts and ways that we show love to one another and minister to one another and, and are gentle with each other and long-suffering with each other and forgiving with each other, all of those ways, that's where you see the Spirit of God manifested. And there ought to be a longing in us to be in the presence of God. And in today, that is in me first and foremost, then ultimately in the body of Christ that God has joined together for His glory, for His praise. And so His whole being yearns with desire to be there and worship God. And you know, my question is, why don't we feel this way? Because how many of you know, and I'm speaking for myself here, I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to us this morning, all right? But how many of you know we will find any excuse we can to not come to church? I mean, we will, we will hope for a sickness so that I can miss a Sunday. And now deep down we don't. Now I'm just saying, deep down it's not like we won't acknowledge that. We won't say that, will we? Deep down we'll say, yeah, I just wished I could go to church this morning, but... Um, you know, we got this little sniffly nose over here, and um, I just I don't want to take no chance, you know. So I'm I know none. Now again, I'm not preaching to y'all. So if I'm making you feel bad this morning, preaching to me first, okay? This is me too. This is us. This is what we do. Why is it that we don't see the gathering of God's people the way that this guy did? You know, I came up with just a few things. One thing, I said, maybe we don't understand the mercy we've been shown like this guy did. You know what he saw every time he walked in that tabernacle? The brass plates on the altar. You know what that said? We were rebels. We stood in the face of God and said, we'll come to you if we want to. What are you going to do about it? What do you think God should have done to all of them? Should have wiped every one of them out. How many of you know that God should have wiped you out in your sleep last night? God should have killed you in your sleep last night. That's what He should have done. God, I'm going to say something going to make some of you mad. God should have killed our children in our sleep last night. Because even our children are sinners and rebels against God. God should have done that and He didn't. Instead, you know what God did? God sent His only begotten Son to die on a cross for your and for my sin. That's what God did instead. Maybe we don't understand the mercy we've been shown. Maybe we don't see the shame of our sin. Maybe the problem with today is sin is so acceptable we don't really know who we are. We don't know how evil we actually are. And yet the mercy that God shows us every day. Maybe the problem is we're more like the original Koahites that the earth opened up and swallowed. Maybe we don't need God. Maybe. I don't know. Go to verse 3 and 4 with me. I, gotta, I could preach a, a series on this psalm, but i got to finish it. Verse 3 and 4. Let's read it together. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. I love this right here because 
He looks, remember, he's, he's thinking about the tabernacle. He's getting ready to go. He's served in this. He's made this journey before, okay? He, he's, he's been on this road and he's been to the tabernacle and he's been inside and he has served and he's picturing in his head and he remembers the tabernacle was a tent that was built outside, right? And guess what made its home at the altar of God? A bird, a sparrow. And he looks in his mind and he sees this bird that he's seen build her nest there and raise her young there. And he's jealous. This is a good jealousy. This is not a jealous like his, like his father was. This is a good jealousy. He looks and he says, even the sparrow makes its home in your house. How much more should me, the Son of God, the child that you have chosen, how much more should I be at home in your house, Lord? Read it again. Even the sparrow finds a what? Finds a home. Even the sparrow finds a home, God. And if the sparrow finds a home, you know what Jesus said about the sparrows? He said, did you know that two sparrows are sold for how much? One penny. He said, do you know that five sparrows are sold for two pennies? So how much is a sparrow worth? Not much. Not much at all. And then Jesus went on to say, if God cares for sparrows who are sold for a penny, and five of them sold for two pennies, how much more does He care for you? And so if sparrows find a home in the house of God, how much more should I be able to find a home in the house of God? I want to be at home in the house of God. This world is not my home. In the presence of God is where my home is. Verse 4, look what he says next. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. What does it mean to dwell? Live there. They stay there. He, now he moves from the birds to the priests that get to live in the house. And he says, I so long to be like the birds that get to raise their family in the house of God. I so long to be blessed like the priests that get to dwell in the house of God. They get to live there. And you know why he says they're so blessed? Look what he says at the end of it. Because they will be what? Ever singing praise to you, God. And then he puts that little word on the end of it, Salah. He says, think about that. Think about that. You know how many people I've talked to over the years, and this is immaturity. I mean, I don't say that demeaning. It's just spiritual immaturity. And I've been there. But they think to themselves, they think, um, you know, I think heaven may, it sounds boring to me, is what they'll say. And their mindset is because they feel like all we're going to be doing is just standing in a choir and everybody for 24-7 and for all eternity, all we're going to do is just stand there and just sing and sing and sing. And they see that as, as boring. The problem is this. They don't see God for how they're going to see Him when they get there. I want you to understand this. I want you to think about the greatest thing in this life that you enjoy the most. I don't care what it is. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your grandchildren. I mean, there is no better heaven on earth for you than this place or with this thing. Maybe for some of you it's, uh, 
uh, riding a horse. I mean, I, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but maybe for some of you it's a, in a boat on a lake with a, with a line getting wet in the water. Maybe for some of you it's in a deer stand waiting on that big buck to come through. Or, or I mean, I don't know. You, you think about whatever it is in this life that just you said, this is my heaven on earth. If I could spend all eternity doing this, I would be satisfied. Everybody got that yet? You found anything? Hanging out with a friend or something? Now I want you to understand something. The Bible tells us every good and perfect gift is from the Father from heaven, meant for us to enjoy. But its purpose is for us to follow the light source from... It's kind of like, you know how when you look through, uh, the, the sunlight shines through a hole and you see that ray of light come down and hit something? The purpose is for us to look at that blessing and follow the light back up to the source from which it came. Because all that is, is an image of who He is and what it's going to be like to be with Him forever. And let me add just another step to that. It's a cursed image. No matter how much you enjoy it, no matter how much you love it, it's a cursed image. And so if you can imagine for one second your perfect bliss that never ended, that is just an image of what it is going to be like to be in the presence of God in His glory. And let me just add to that. Not only are you going to be in His presence, in His glory, just in awe of what He... You think it's, you think it's cool to stand and look at the Grand Canyon and go, wow, you ain't seen nothing yet. And not only is it that, but here's what he tells us in Revelations. He says, church, behold, I make all things new. You are going to have a new heaven and a new earth. There are probably going to be motorcycles in heaven, Ron. That never run out of gas. And the roads never quit winding. He makes all things new. And the point of that is they are all in their perfect form. People have argued for years, are animals going to be in heaven? Did you hear what I just said? He makes what? All things new. We have a new heaven and a new earth. You have no idea what it's going to be like to see God in His full glory and to spend eternity there doing nothing but just looking at everything that reflects who He is and then you turn back to Him and you come back to Him and you say, you, I don't know, I don't even know what to say to you. There is no one like you. There is nothing like you. I have never in my life. The Apostle Paul put it like this. Eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, and it has never even entered into the imagination of man. How many of you got some pretty big imaginations? It's never even entered into the imagination of man the things that God has prepared for those that love Him. This guy understands that. And if he could just be like the bird, and just make his home in this place. If he could just be like the priest that get to live there. And he's looking at it from an earthly standpoint. 
What's wrong with us? We don't see God for who He is. We're still so in love with this creation. Are y'all tracking with me? Let me, just, let me just take it down to a personal level. I am still so in love with this creation that's just a cursed image. And I am more in love with these created things that are fading away than I am in the one they point to. That's a problem. That's a problem. I want to be like this guy. I want to be like this guy. He said they get to sing praises forever. Forever they get to sing praises. I have to do my round and then I have to go back home. I have to preach this sermon this morning and then I got to go back home. I get to come back Wednesday night though. But then I got to go back home. And then I get to come back Sunday. But then I got to go back home. And this guy looks at it and he says, I wish I could just spend my life here and just be in His presence forever and this would be my home. Verses 5 through 7, we move to the psalmist's journey. He, he takes us on the journey. He wants us to understand what the journey is like to get to the presence of God. Because how many of you know that getting to the presence of God is not an easy path? And look what he says here in verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. So people need some strength. Do they need their own strength? Their strength has to come from God, right? He said the people that are going to be blessed are the people that get their strength from God. So you're going to need strength. Why? Because in whose heart are the highways designed? They have set their heart to get to the presence of God. They have set their heart to get to Zion, the city of God. How many of you have set your heart that that's where you're headed? I'm going to the city of God. I'm headed to Zion. He said, first off, you're going to need strength to get there. Second off, you're going to need God's strength to get there. You can't do it in your strength. Why? Why can't I do it in my strength? Well, look where we got to go in verse uh, 6. As they, who is they? The people who have set their heart to go to Zion, right? The people who have been blessed because they get their strength from God. This is the they, right? Y'all tracking with me? Come on, this is too good for me to lose y'all. They, as they go through the valley of Baca, Baca is a Hebrew word that means weeping. Weeping. As they go through the valley of weeping. Guys, to get to the city of God, to get to the presence of God, Jesus said, we must through many tribulations enter therein. There's going to be a lot of trials. There's going to be a lot of trouble. Jesus said, in this world you will have what? Trouble. But be of good cheer. I have overcome this world. He says here, you will have to go through the valley of weeping. And then notice what happens here. Because they get their strength from God, look what it says next. They make it a what? A place of springs. They turn a dry desert valley into a place of springs. They turn a desert into an oasis. A desert becomes an oasis because they rely on the strength of God and because they have set their focus that this is not where I am going to be at home. 
Let me tell you something. When I go through my valley of weeping, I was talking to somebody earlier and they were asking me how Kirby was doing. I said, you know, Kirby's doing okay. And he, I remember it was somebody, I ain't going to say his name, but he was telling me, he said, you know, I've had some, um, I've had family members that didn't have any hope. They didn't really go to church. And he said, um, they, um, when something like this happens, they're, they're just shattered. They, uh, they are no hope. They are um, mad at God. They are, and he talks about the way that they respond. That's not Kirby right now. Now, is Kirby crying? You better believe Kirby's crying. Is Kirby hurting? You better believe Kirby's hurting. But do you think for one second Kirby is hopeless? No, he's not. You know why? Because in his valley of weeping, he's got one focus. This ain't where it's at anyway. I have set my heart for the highways to Zion. Man, somebody ought to set amen to that. I have set my heart on the highways that go to Zion. <laughs> and I have set my gaze on making my home in His presence, ever singing His praises. And no matter what happens in this valley of weeping, He is my strength. He is my strength. But you got to go through the valley of weeping to get there. Keep going with me. We're still taking this journey. We make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. Literally, this place becomes an oasis of water. And then notice what happens in verse 7. They go from what? They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. They go from strength to strength. In other words, the trials of this life don't make me weaker. You know what they do? I go from strength to strength to strength. As bad as it hurts, as, as much as I cry, I go from strength to strength. And that's what Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 5. Look at what he says here. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. That don't sound right, does it? What? Paul, you must be tripping. We rejoice in our sufferings? Why? Nick preached this. Because we know something. What do we know? We know that suffering only does one thing in the life of a Christian. You know what it does? It produces. Suffering produces. What does it produce, Paul? Suffering produces endurance. You know what endurance is? Endurance is, you may knock me down, but you're not going to keep me down. I will get back up. And I will keep running this race. And I will keep fighting this fight. And that endurance, you know what that's going to do? It's going to produce character. You know what character is? It's who I am. As I endure, it produces character in me. And then you know what that character produces? That character produces hope. You know why? Because I have set my heart on the highways to Zion. And I have made it clear that my home is going to be like that bird on the altar of God. 
It's going to be like the priests that get to dwell there. It's going to be ever singing His praises in His presence. And I cannot wait. I love, I love reading this song. I hear, I put my feet in this guy's shoes and I just feel what he feels. I cannot wait. Cannot wait to get there. They go from strength to strength and look at the end of verse 7. Until each one appears before God in Zion. You know what he said? We're going to get there, guys. I'm going to get there. You know why I'm going to get there? Because I've set my heart on it. Because that's where my gaze is at. That's where my hope is at. And I am on the highway to the presence of God. I am going to appear before God. And each one that trusts in God for their strength in the valleys of weeping, each one that sets their focus on the highways of Zion, each one that sets their heart to make their home there, each one will appear before God in Zion. And until they get there, as they go through the valley of weeping, they will go from one strength to the next strength to the next strength to the next strength. Anybody in here getting this but me this morning? Verse 8. We go from the journey to the prayer. The prayer, 8 and 9. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Salah. Again, think about that. What's his prayer? What's he praying for right here? This psalmist wants to know that God hears his desire and his longing, that God understands that he is fainting in himself to make the presence of God in his dwelling his home forever and ever. God, there's nothing I want more in this life. There is nothing I want more in this life. God, you are the God of hosts, he says in verse 8. You know what that means? You're the God of armies. You're the God of armies. God, I want you to hear my prayer. I want you to give ear to it. And not only is he a God of armies, but he is the God of Jacob. You know what this guy's saying? You're my God. Because you chose me. Because you have adopted me. You are my God and my Father. And then verse 9. He says, you are our shield, O God. Look what he says. Behold, our shield. Who's our shield? O God. Behold, our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. In other words, turn your face toward us, your people, and help us to have the strength we need to go through the valley of weeping, to keep our focus, to, to, um, to ever sing your praises forever and ever. God, hear our prayer and help us do that. And then lastly, we come to the motivation in verse 10 and 11. The psalmist's motivation. Why does he pray this? Why does he want this so bad? Why is this so important to him? Why does he long for it so much? Verse 10. For a day in your courts is better than what? <laughs> Let me tell you what this psalmist knows. This psalmist knows and he understands that one day in God's presence is better than a thousand days anywhere else there is. One day, you ever went on vacation and when it come time to come home, you thought, man, got to go home. Got to go back to work. Got to go, got to do this, got to do that. Or, you, or whatever it was, you've, you're doing what you love and you think, oh, got to quit and I got to go do this. No matter what it is. 
the point being is this guy understands that one day in the presence of God is better than a thousand days anywhere else that there is. And then, notice what he says next. <clears throat> he says, I would rather be a doorkeeper. Now, you remember who the sons are, right? Remember who he is. He don't care that he's the guy that cleans the toilets. <laughs> he don't care. He don't care that he's the guy that just has to stay behind after everybody else goes home and sweeps the floor. He don't care that he's the guy that has to set up the table so that the other people can sit and eat. He don't care that he's the guy that, that has to wait till everybody else gets their food before he gets here. He don't care. He said, I would rather do all that. I would rather be the lowest of the low. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell. Here we talk about living again than to live in the tents of wickedness. He's saying this right here. God, when I'm before you, I'm richer than all kings. I would rather be a doorkeeper in your house than live in a king's tent. I would rather be a doorkeeper in your house than live in the biggest mansion that there is. I would rather spend a day in your presence than a thousand days anywhere else. That's why I so long to be with you because there's no place like it. And then the second part in verse 11, his motivation. Because the Lord our God is a sun and a shield. You know what the sun does? The sun is a guiding light. That's what it does. The, the, the Lord our God is a sun. It's a guide. It's a shield. And the Lord bestows favor and honor and no good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. He said, for those that get to live in the presence of God, do you know what they get to experience as far as good things are concerned? God don't uphold no good thing whenever we're walking uprightly, standing in His presence. There is nothing He withholds. You remember what uh, the Apostle Paul, the conclusion he drew to this in Romans chapter 8, I think it was. Yeah, Romans chapter 8. He said, um, if God will give you His Son... Is there anything that He won't give you? Thomas, if you give me your son, if you would do that, now you won't, I know, but if you would, is there anything that you own that you would not give me? If God will give you His only child, what do you think He's going to give you whenever we are perfect in His presence? No good thing does He withhold. He is our guide. He is our protector. He is the one that bestows favor and honor on us. And because that's the kind of God that we serve, I want to make my home in His house. I don't care if i got to be a doorkeeper. <laughs> because one day in His presence is better than a thousand days anywhere else that there is that I have enjoyed. <clears throat> Closing. The journey to God's dwelling place is a long and difficult journey. Jesus said, if anyone would follow me, you know what he's got to do? He's got to take up his cross. You know what a cross was back then? An instrument of torture. It was an instrument of death. 
If anyone will follow me, he's going to have to take up his cross here and now, just like he did, and he's going to have to follow me. And I'm telling you, the devil's going to come at you just like he came at him. If he did that to the master, what do you think he's going to do to you? The journey to the presence of God is long and difficult, but we have great motivation to make the trip. One day in His presence, one day, and you know what you're going to do? You're going to look back at all of your valleys of weeping that you went through and you're going to laugh at them. You think I'm exaggerating? One day in the presence of God and you're going to look back at all the valleys of weeping and you will laugh at each and every one of them. This place is better and it was worth everything that I had to go through in order to get here. I longed to get there just like this psalmist. I wished I longed, well, let me say this. I longed to get there, not just like the psalmist. I want to though. I want to have that longing in me. I want to know that anywhere I go, that I know that He's dwelling with me. But I want to know that one day when I'm a doorkeeper in His house, I'm in my home. I am there forever and ever and ever to sing His praise, to enjoy His glory, to worship His glory, and to enjoy His creation that He has made all new and that He withholds no good thing from me because I walk uprightly before Him. My question to you this morning is simple. Do you have a longing in your heart to be in the presence of God? And does it begin right here? Right here. How about we quit making excuses for why we can't come and worship? And I'm not saying that to try to get more people. We've got a huge crowd here this morning and, and so many families out. I don't know where we're going to put all y'all when we go back to the sanctuary. All right? I'm not saying this to try to get more people to come to church. I'm saying this because I see something here. And I see something that we're missing, guys. We're missing this. And so I would ask you to examine yourself this morning and ask yourself the question, why is it so easy for us to make excuses to not be in God's presence? Why is that so easy for us? Why is there not a longing and a desire in me to be to have my heart set on the highways to Zion? And this is part of those highways. The road map to Zion has many paths. Y'all know that, right? Y'all remember back in the old days when you used to have to, have to print off MapQuest or you had to pull the old... Most of y'all kids ain't got a clue what I'm talking about. But used to when we would go on a trip, you had to pull out the big map and you had to plan your trip and know every road that you're going to take. Well, I want to tell you, I want you to view the highways to Zion in the same way. You've got to lay this thing out and you've got to understand that there are roads that you're going to take and I'm telling you, one of those roads is the church. One of those roads is the church. And so I pray that you have set your heart to focus, to be on the highways to Zion. That when you look at birds that get to dwell here and make their nest and raise their kids here, you're jealous. 
that when you look at the people that serve and are able to be here and do things that, that maybe you're not able to do right now, that you're jealous, that you wish you could be this. And I hope that you understand that one day, when you're there, you're going to be able to say, one day in His presence is better than a thousand days anywhere else I have ever been.